just want to you know echo what Ray was talking about. You know, as, as you guys were talking about the gospel, um, you know, I love the message about like how we here at, at this community are being about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, I just want to echo that you know, that is so much about the message as much as it is about living out the gospel in our lives uh, and modeling that for those uh, who are around us. And so, um, you know, my, my charge, you know, as we go forward as a community, as a people here, uh, that we are both about that message and about that reality in our lives uh, and living lives that echo the truths of what the gospel are in our lives. So, all that to say... Uh, are you guys excited for Christmas? Yes? Who likes Christmas here? A few of you guys? Yes? You love spending money. Well, I, I'm definitely one of those people where uh, I like to hold off on the Christmas music until after Thanksgiving, you know? Uh, you know, I'm one of those people where I'm like, hey, the Christmas season needs to be unique, so let's hold off on the Christmas music and all the decorations and stuff. However, my wife is the exact opposite of me. She could celebrate Christmas year-round. She could have Christmas music going year-round. And she's always chomping at the bit. She's like, you know, a few days before Thanksgiving, she's like, can I start now? Can I start now? And I'm like, you can do whatever you want. I don't, if you put the music on, I don't know if it turns off automatically or how that's going to happen, but, you know, it's not going to be my fault. But, no, just kidding. I mean, for all intents and purposes, you know, right after we got finished eating our Thanksgiving meal uh, this year, my wife looks at me and she's like, all right, you ready for the Christmas decorations to come out? Which means I get to unload everything out of storage and I get to put all the Christmas lights up. And I'm not a bah humbug. I enjoy and I love Christmas. Um, but yeah, we're excited for the Christmas season. I hope you are too. And uh, as Ray was saying already, you know, this, this year, this Christmas season, uh, we have so much to celebrate, so much to celebrate that has content and meaning and significance in our lives. And as we celebrate it this year, uh, that we are joining with God's heart to declare to the world around us that a Savior has been born. Uh, and that's the message that we need to carry outside of these walls in our lives, the things that we do in your workplace, in your friend groups, in your neighborhoods. Uh, we want to declare from the rooftops that a Savior has been born and that that is good news. It's good news to us and it's good news for the world. And that's a little bit what we're going to talk, be talking about today. Uh, we're going to be starting a, a series, a Christmas series, uh, from now until Christmas, uh, titled Real Christmas, Disseminating the Reality Behind the Holiday Season. Now, the idea behind this series is that there's a, there's a Christmas foundation in our, in our culture uh, that's built both on a holy day and a secular holiday. Uh, we live in a society that celebrates uh, partly a religious tradition, but also partly it's a holiday that's celebrated by non-religious people. And it's celebrated at the taste, same time. And, and oftentimes that there's dis- discomfort on both sides. Uh, for, for those who are religious people, people of faith, um, we, we've noticed this move away in our society from its origins, from its traditions. And whether that's from, you know, when you're at the, you're at the grocery store or you're out shopping and people wish you happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas anymore, right? It's a bad thing. It's, it's faux pas to say, hey, Merry Christmas because that has religious connotations. But we notice how people say those things nowadays. And the Christmas music and the themes, it's, it's more about Santa. It's more about celebrating the season. Uh, it's more about these external things. Uh, and, and so for us as people of faith, uh, that kind of uh, puts a tension in our heart where we know there's deeper meaning and significance with those things. Now on the other side of the picture, you have people in this world who are secular, don't have religious roots, and it is, they fall into this, this place where they see religion intruding on their celebration of Christmas. 
Uh, and whether it's the old, old U-tied carols that come across the sound waves, uh, you know, on their radio or in a Christmas store that, uh, you know, speak of a coming king, about a Messiah who's come to rescue the world, or if it's their children asking about, hey, what is, what is all this Jesus talk? What is all this birth of a savior talk? Um, all of those things come intruding in people who come from a secular background. And so we have these two, during one season, we have these two main people groups that are celebrating uh, for different reasons. Now this morning, uh, we want to be about real Christmas. Uh, we want to be about what Christmas is really about. Um, we want to look at how do we as, as believers bring to light the real significance behind the Christmas message. The real reality behind the Christmas message. Because it not only has implications for people around us, but it also has implications for us. And so we want to discover that. We want to thumb through that this year. So that the more clarity that we can bring to the Christmas message, the more that we can live in congruence with it, and the more that people around us can see the light that has come into this world that God has brought through His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? All right. So, today we're going to be looking at, we're going to be talking about this message, this message about life. Um, now, life uh, in, in the passage that we're going to be looking at is, is communicated through the idea of light. And so we're going to be focusing on light. And I don't know about you, but I love Christmas lights. I think they're amazing. And one of the ways that we know that the Christmas season has come is because we begin to see Christmas lights all over everything, don't we? Right? Uh, whether it's businesses, cars, people's houses, they are everywhere. And it's beautiful. I mean, one of the things that, that my wife and I, that we love to do, is we love to go find neighborhoods that have streets that are just decked out with Christmas lights. We park our car and we get out with our, with my, my daughter and my son and, and our new little baby. He hasn't, I mean, I'm sure he'll be fascinated by the Christmas lights, uh, but he's only six months old, so I can't really understand what he's actually thinking. But you can see it in his eyes. Uh, but, you know, we love to go walk on the streets and, and, you know, see all the creativity that the people have come up with and enjoy uh, the aspects of the season of these, these beautiful decorations of Christmas lights. And this morning we're going we're gonna to read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And we're going to see that, that light has come into the world. That light has dawned upon a dark place. And that light goes beyond just superficial things. It's, it's more than just the Christmas festivities. While we see light, there is deep symbolism in the fact that God has brought His light into this world through a child. So would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 through 7. Isaiah 9, but there will be no more gloom for her who is in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence, as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. As the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle of Tumult, and cloak rolled in blood, will be for burning, fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, 
And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come before your word this morning, God, as we, as we discover, Lord, as we, as we dive into, God, what you have done through your son Jesus and bringing him to this world, God, I pray that you would just open our hearts, Lord, that you would shine your light in the dark places of our own hearts, Lord. God, that we would be willing to humble ourselves and receive your word for us this morning, that you would teach us, and God, that we would respond by living more and more in congruence with your light, Father. So God, we come before you this morning and ask that you would just have your way. We love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Now, as we said before, one of the first indications of of lights uh, was one of the first indications of the Christmas holiday season. And it's only appropriate, uh, in in the Mediterranean world, December 25th actually marks the darkest time of the year. As we talked about before, lights are not just merely decorative. Uh, They have deep symbolic meaning within the ancient world and specifically within Scripture. And in our passage this morning, we are told in verse 2 that there is darkness upon the world. We live in a dark place. Now we all understand and operate under a common understanding of light. It allows us to see. Uh, many of us, when we, when we walk home uh, and or come into our house in the middle of the night, the first thing we do is what? Flip on a light switch, right? Because it allows us to see where our foots need to step. It allows us to see where we're going. It brings clarity. It brings direction. And this passage tells us that there is darkness in the world. And just as there is real physical darkness, there is real spiritual darkness that we find ourselves in. As we seek to understand the spiritual truths that Christmas speaks to, the most fundamental truth to understanding the real meaning of Christmas is to understand that the world is a dark place. That we will never find our way or see the reality of the darkness unless Jesus is truly our light. Isaiah 9.2 addresses the people living in darkness. The people living in a dark land. It says that they have seen a great light and that light will shine on them. Later, the, the Apostle John would write in his Gospel, in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 9, There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. So our first question that we want to ask this morning is, is how is the world dark? Well, the idea of darkness in the Old Testament from its Hebrew meaning simply refers to the idea of both evil and ignorance. Evil and ignorance. And what this is communicating in our passages is that the world is full of evil and suffering. This permeates our world in every facet today just as it did in ancient times. And secondly, that no one knows enough to cure evil and suffering that is in the world. When we look at chapter 8, we see that it explains why we need the light of God. So when we look at our context, we read that, that the people of God, primarily Israel, they were in a place where they had rejected God. God had put them, He had given them the land of Israel, He had blessed them, and He said, hey, keep my commandments. I will be your king, you will follow after me. I will be your ruler. Look to me when you need help. Look to me for provision. Look for me to sustain you. And you know what Israel did? 
Through time, they rejected God. Through time, they turned their backs on Him and said, hey, we need a king. And once they had a king, they decided that they needed to look to other nations. And they stopped looking to God, they stopped worshiping God, and they turned their backs on Him. And as a result, God said, okay, you have chosen to be unfaithful to me. I'm going to allow you to, to take, allow this to take its course. And so there were repercussions as a result. And so they began to experience the presence of evil. They began to experience suffering in many great ways in their nation. And as a result, their desire was to, to bring a solution to this evil and suffering that they were experiencing through different things like magicians and mediums through different kingdoms and rulers, essentially everything else but God. And in verse 21 and 22 of chapter 8, we read that that God gives says this is what's going to happen. He says, They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished, and it will turn out that when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into the darkness. See, the problem was within Israel that they were, using to, to util, they were looking to utilize human resources to fix the problems of the world around them. They weren't looking to God. They were looking to themselves and their own resources. They acknowledged that they were in darkness, but they said that they could overcome it by themselves without God. The result of their choice was that they were driven into more and more darkness. And when we look at our current society and we look at our current culture, people make the same claim today. They look to the state, they look to technology, they look to education, they look to the marketplace to bring a final solution to evil and suffering in our world, to the darkness in the world. Uh, there was a, a New York Times article written a while back, and the author uh, says this about the meaning of Christmas. He says, the meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph and that we will be able to put together a world of unity and peace. In other words, we have the light in us and we can fix the darkness of of this world ourselves. We can overcome things like poverty, injustice, violence, and evil in this world with our own power. And we have to ask ourselves, is this really possible? Can we really do this? Vaclav Havel, he was the first president of the Czech Republic and he had a unique vantage point as a political leader, to both look into uh, both socialism and capitalism. And he was not optimistic that the world would either, or that the world or this solution would bring a a final uh, end to the world's problems. Uh, He knew that science, unguided by moral principles, gave us the Holocaust. And he concluded that neither technology, nor the state, nor the market alone could save save us from things like nuclear conflict, environmental degradation, or ethnic violence. And he says this, he says, pursuit of the good life will not help humanity see itself, nor is democracy alone enough. A turning to and seeking of God is needed. The human race constantly forgets that they are not God. See, the beautiful picture of Christmas, it is is the most realistic perspective that we can see uh, the world through. Despite the sincerity of the New York Times writer, the message of Christmas is not that we can save ourselves. It is exactly the opposite. That we cannot save ourselves. Trying to save ourselves leads only to more darkness in this world. As we read about in uh, Isaiah chapter 8. As we see in our world today. That there is not only darkness within the world, but there is also darkness within ourselves. 
that when we walk out the implications of things like science and naturalistic philosophy, naturalistic evolution, ultimately, if we were to live out those implications, truly, actually, that would only lead us to more and more to a place of despair, a lack of hope, and a lack of purpose in this world. And the reality is that Christmas is the most unsentimental, realistic way of looking at life. It does not say, Christmas does not say, cheer up, we can make the world a better place. The Bible never counsels indifference to the forces of darkness, only resistance. But it supports no illusions that we can defeat them by ourselves. Christianity does not agree with the optimistic thinkers that we can simply fix things if we work hard enough. If we just pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, we can do this as human beings. Nor does it agree with the pessimists who only see a hopeless future around us. See, the message of Christianity instead is things are really this bad. And we cannot help or solve this ourselves. Things are really dark in this world. But you know what? There is hope. The message of Christmas is this. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And there is a light from outside of us, outside of this world. And Jesus has brought that life to save us. Indeed, as the Gospel writer John says, He is the true light that has come into this world that enlightens every man. So what is the meaning of light? When Isaiah speaks of light dawning on the world of darkness, he's speaking symbolically. We understand that physical sunlight brings life, truth, and beauty to the world. And the author of Isaiah uses this imagery to conceptualize what it is that we're talking about when we speak of God being the source of light. When we look at the sun, we understand, first of all, that it gives us light. The world would freeze without sunlight. You realize that, right? If there was no sun, if we did not have life, uh, life could not sustain itself. It would be simply a cold, dark place where life could not sustain itself. In the same way, God upholds and sustains life. We would not exist without Him, both physically and spiritually. We were created to be in relationship with Him. And the reason darkness is even in this world is a result of sin, which has brought the opposite of life into this world and brought death. There's been a loss of meaning and hope. There are things like addiction, discontent that cannot be satisfied, shame, false identity, and our inability to bring about real change in our lives. And this all stems from our fragmented relationship with God. Secondly, the sun reveals truth. If you drive your car at night and you try to drive without your lights on, you know what's going to happen? You're going to crash, aren't you? Especially if you go up Petrified Forest Road here. I'm, you know, we're new to the area, and that is a dark road. Uh, I've, you know, we have a little electric Fiat on a side note. We have a little electric Fiat, and it just puts out a little amount of light. And it scares me even driving that thing with just that little amount of light. But the point is, is that light reveals truth. It reveals what actually is. And the Bible teaches us that God is the source of all truth. 1 John 1 says this, This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. The only reason that you or I can know anything is because of God. You realize that, right? 
He's the one that has made us with the cognitive faculties and a mind that can even understand factual things. We cannot possibly even know God unless He reveals it to us, which He does through His Word, through Scripture. And only through Him does our capacity to reason uh, work. And only through Him, His Word can un- we can understand His Word, that we can understand His truth. He is the great revealer of truth. He is that true light that allows us to see things for what they actually are. And finally, we see that the physical sun is beautiful. We know that, that light is dazzling. It gives true joy. Uh, one of my favorite things uh, coming from Ventura, I'm a surfer. And I can tell you what, uh, sitting on the water as the sun is going down uh, and as I'm surfing, it, one of my favorite times of the day is, is that, that late afternoon where the sun's like sitting like just, just above the horizon. And it's just that warmth that you feel from it. And it's just beautiful. It shimmers off of everything. It's all inspiring. I mean, you can't just help but sit there and just soak up the beauty that light brings to this world. Now, on the other side, I've also uh, spent some time on the East Coast. And uh, coming from California, uh, it was really hard. You know, we have so much sunlight here, right? Uh, most of the year we have, except for up here, it rains a little bit more than Southern California. But we have a ton of sunlight here. Now, going back east, man, I went back there one year during the wintertime. And uh, coming from California just to spend the winter back with my brother. And, uh, you know, back where he lives in Delaware, it's just like gray and socked in for like three straight months. And the, the role that it plays on, you just feel like, like depressed and like you feel like you lack the motivation, the excitement, the joy of life. It just, it kind of grinds you down a little bit. It almost feels like, like death upon the world. The darkness does. But light truly does bring beauty to this world. And in the same way, we need God's light to understand true beauty and joy. Ultimately, because He is the source of all beauty and joy. Uh, one of my favorite authors was uh, St. Augustine. And he believed that when you're enjoying something in this world, that God is actually the source of that joy by secondary nature. And whether you know it or not, the thing that you are actually enjoying or looking for is God himself. Uh, one of his famous, famous quotes He says, our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. See, Augustine knew that the true joy could only, true satisfaction could only be found in God himself because we were created for him. So what is it that this light does in Isaiah chapter 9? It says that the light shines and it dawns on those in darkness. It is God alone that has the life the truth and the joy or the beauty that we ourselves lack and cannot generate ourselves. How can we have this light dawn upon ourselves? Well, verse 6 and verse 7 tells us something about how this light dawns upon us. It says this, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness, and from then on forevermore, the real load of hosts will accomplish this. The passage tells us here that the light that has come through this child, because he is four things, he is the wonderful counselor, he is mighty God, he is everlasting father, he is prince of peace. Now what's interesting about this passage is that these four titles that are given to this child, do you know that those titles are only given to God himself? 
He is mighty God and everlasting Father, yet He is born? There is nothing that compares to this in any of the major religions of the world. He is a human being, yet He's God? Isaiah is talking about the incarnation here, brothers and sisters. This is a miracle. And the implications of this, these claims are overwhelming. We should be lost in wonder, in love, in praise at the thought of this reality right here. This should captivate our hearts for the rest of our lives. Why? Well, if Jesus really is mighty God and everlasting Father, you can't just like him. You realize that. People who, are, who encountered Jesus in the Bible, they never reacted indifferently towards him or mild-manneredly towards him. Once they realized what he was saying or what he was claiming about himself, they were either scared of him, they were furious of him, or they worshipped him. No one ever simply liked him. They never said, oh, that's a nice thing to say. No one ever said, you know, oh, he's so inspiring. He makes me want to live a better life. People didn't say that. I love what C.S. Lewis has to say about this. He says that Jesus, you know, when you look at Jesus' life, his ministry, and the things that he either said, you, have, you either have to consider him a liar, a lunatic, or God, right? If you believe that, that Jesus is a, a good moral person, yet he makes the claims that he says about himself, then he can't simply be a good moral person if you, if you don't believe those claims about who he says himself. Then he's ultimately not a good moral person because he's lying. Or that he's a lunatic. Jesus claimed to be God. Now, I don't know about you, but if I went on a street corner out here and I ran into somebody and says, hey, I am God, you might think they're a lunatic, wouldn't you? Right? You might think that there's a screw loose in their head. And some people thought that he was a lunatic. Some people thought that Jesus was crazy. But if you believe he's God, if you believe that the things that he actually claimed about himself, the things that he actually demonstrated in his life and ministry, then that really changes things, doesn't it? If you believe the child who was born at Christmas is really mighty God, then you must serve him completely. Because if he's God, that means he's your Lord. If Jesus is wonderful counselor and prince of peace, then you should want to serve him. He's called counselor for a reason. See, when you're, when you're going through a difficult situation and you want to talk to someone, you generally want to talk to someone who's been through it, don't you? Right? You want to talk to someone as you've gone through a difficult situation, you're in the midst of one, who's experienced what you're going through, who can understand how you feel, who can understand your emotions, your thoughts, your struggles, the inside of you. If God was really born in a manger then we have something that no other religion in this world claims to have. A God who truly understands you from the inside out. A God who suffered. Who had to be courageous in the face of opposition. Who knows what it's like to have been abandoned by his friends. To be crushed by injustice. To be tortured and die. See, Christmas shows us that God knows what you're going through. And when you talk to him, he understands because he went through it himself. See, when, I, when Isaiah says that he isn't just any counselor, but that he's wonderful, he's also saying that he's beautiful. And we see a, a glimpse of this through the incarnation. You know, when, when Jesus came to this earth, he left his throne with his eternal Father to come down and be one of us, to come to our condition, to come down into our brokenness, to come down into our darkness. 
And then he went to the cross voluntarily, freely, out of sheer love for you and me. And I don't know about you, but I know that I'm pretty unlovely. You may think that I'm a great guy. And ultimately that's because of God's glory in my life. But I know my deep part of me, the, the, the dark places of my heart. And I know that I can be selfish and prideful and arrogant. And I know my brokenness. I'm aware of it every single day. And Jesus was not turned away from that brokenness. And because of that, he is beautiful. And when we see and we find him to be the most beautiful and desirable thing to us, we respond in obedience to him, not out of a sense of duty or self-preservation, but out of sheer love and reciprocating the love that he showed us. That in light of all he has done, he is beautiful. He is wonderful. In short, Jesus is the divine light of the world because he brings new life to replace our spiritual deadness. Because he shows us that the truth heals our spiritual blindness. Because he has the beauty that breaks through our addictions to things like money, sex, and power. As wonderful counselor, he walks us even into and through the shadow of death where no other companion can go. He is the light for us when all other lights go out. Oh, and he is beautiful. See, when we look at this through the light of grace, we see that our passage tells us in verse 6 that not only was a child born to us, but the Son will be given. And that means that the Son can be ours. It's something that's given. It's a gift. And it can be ours only if we're willing to receive it. Verse 5 alludes to this. It says this, For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle, tumult, and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. Now you may read this and be like, what, what is Isaiah talking about here? Well, Isaiah here is using imagery to tell us that the great victory over evil will not require our strength. That those things once used for battle, you know what's going to happen to those things? Those things are going to be melted down. Those things are going to be thrown into the fire. Why? Because somebody else is going to do the fighting for you. You will not need to fight anymore because someone else is going to do the fighting for you. And it isn't until later in Isaiah that we find exactly who will do this fighting. In Isaiah uh, chapters 42 through 45, and then later on in, in chapter 53, we read about the suffering servant who will come, the Messiah who will deliver God's people from this darkness. Specifically Isaiah 53, when it tells us about when Jesus went to the cross, that he was bruised for our sins, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brings us peace was laid on his shoulders, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus came as that suffering servant to pay the penalty for our sins, to do the fighting for us, the fighting that we can no longer bear. And when we trust in his work on our behalf, rather than our own moral efforts, God forgives and accepts us and gives us the Holy Spirit to renew us from the inside out. He puts his light in us. And this is the great salvation. This is the light that has dawned upon us with new life, truth, and beauty. And it comes as a free gift. And the only way to receive this gift is to understand that it is undeserved grace. We cannot earn God's favor because there is one who has completely earned God's favor on our behalf. Now when we think about Christmas, we understand Christmas is about receiving presents. But think about how, that, how hard that is to receive certain gifts. 
Uh, say you have a friend that gives you a book on dieting and overcoming selfishness. Now, if you were to receive that gift, you are in a sense admitting, <laughs> you are in a sense admitting that indeed I'm fat and obnoxious, right? Now this would be hard because to receive some gifts we must admit that we have weaknesses and need help. Would you say? Another example might be money. Say, uh, say you have a, a situation where uh, you're in a financial predicament and you don't have the funds to come up with it and you don't know a way out. And say you have a friend who knows that you're in financial trouble, who knows that you need help, and he wants to give you a large sum of money to resolve that issue, to solve that problem. If you, if you, if you know anything about receiving money, that means that, that you have to recognize that first that you're in need and B, that you have to swallow your pride and take, take something from somebody else. It's not always to re- easy to receive gifts. It's not always easy to, to receive something from somebody else. In the same way, there's never been a gift offered that makes you swallow your pride to the depths that the gift of Jesus Christ requires us to do. Christmas means that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of of the Son of God Himself could save us. To accept the true Christmas gift means that you have to admit you are a sinner, that you need to be saved by grace, and that you need to give up control of your life. And that's not an easy thing to do. It means, though, that we have to descend lower than any of us really want to go. But Jesus Christ, in his greatness, has modeled this for us, hasn't he? He stepped down from his heavenly heavenly throne, and he stepped lower than any of us could imagine by coming in human form. The light of the world descended into the darkness in order to bring us back into God's beautiful light. The promise of Christmas cannot be discerned unless you first admit you can't save yourself or even know yourself without the light of His unmerited grace and His life. As we talk about the true meaning of Christmas this year, real Christmas, it is built upon that foundation right there. We, we have a world that we live in in darkness. We cannot save ourselves. And it requires we understand to the depths our own brokenness, our own need for a Savior to bring about true healing, true light in this world, true redemption. And that's at the heart of Christmas. As we think about Christmas this year, I think for, uh, for those of us who claim to believers, who claim to put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, the first and foremost, it's a time of confession to say, God, I am broken and I need you every day of my life. Not I made a decision 10 years ago and I'm good to go. But every single day, it's an acute awareness of our desperate need for a Savior. And if you're here today and you've, if you've never come to that place, if you've never been able to allow yourself to come to that, that state of loneliness where you recognize I am in great need, I am in great peril, And the only thing that can remove the darkness that is within me and in this world is God's Son who came into this world as light. If you haven't made that decision, if you haven't put your faith or trust in Him in that way, this Christmas season and every day, I would encourage you to do so. If you want to experience what Christmas is really about, if you want to understand what this this message of the Gospel is, of Jesus, of why we do church at all, 
it starts right there. It's our foundation. And so this Christmas season, if you're wrestling with that, I would encourage you to surrender. Let go of control. God's not scared of your brokenness. He's not scared of of your baggage or things in the past. He wants all of you. He came to this world knowing all of that was there. And so this this Christmas is a call ultimately to surrender. Both to believers and non-believers. Both to churched and unchurched. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. And God, we thank you that your light has dawned on a dark place, Lord. And God, I pray this Christmas season, God, that we would come before you with open hands. God, open hands to say, God, I'm done fighting the battle myself. I'm, I'm done thinking that I can pull myself back up and handle this. I'm done thinking that I can overcome all of my issues, my brokenness, all of it, Lord, my family stuff, whatever it may be, that I can overcome those things through my own merits, my own efforts, Lord. God, that this Christmas say, season, Lord, we would say, God, have all of us. Have your way with us. We surrender, Lord. And it's not just one moment here today, but it's every moment for every day of our lives. God, we pray that your light would shine in and through us as a church, as a community. And God, that as we talk about church, as that we are the church, Lord, that we know that as we go out these doors, Lord, we are going into a world of darkness that desperately needs to see your light, Lord. And God, that your light would shine brightly in us, Father. And as believers, as your church, Lord, if there is any way in us, if there's anything hindering us, God, from your light shining brightly, Lord, that you would remove it. And God, as a body, Lord, that we would come to you in corporate confession and say, God, forgive us of our shortcomings. Forgive us of our selfishness. Forgive us of our own agendas as people, as broken people, God. And as we go forward in this world, Lord, God, you would simply have your way with us. So God, this Christmas season, God, shine brightly, Lord. We love you, Jesus, and we praise things in your name. Amen.